0: well good morning again Um, if you have your bibles and i hope you do turn with me to acts chapter 21 acts chapter 21 if you do not have a bible you will need one um so just lift your hand up one of our ushers will be more than happy to put one in your hand if you don't didn't bring your bible this morning go ahead and throw your hand up ushers will put one in your hand Acts chapter 21, if you've been walking along with us, we've been walking through the book of Acts and started a brand new series through in the book of Acts um, called Whatever It Takes. Acts chapters 21 through 28 really tell one big story. It's a story of Paul's relentless pursuit of making it to Rome, making it to first to Jerusalem and then to Rome. Now, once again, we talked about last week, the Bible shares history, so there's lots of names and dates and places mentioned but the, the, the Bible is not primarily a book of history. So although we're going to talk about Paul's travels and Paul's journeys, the goal and the, the main character of the story is not Paul. Um, the main character is the Holy Spirit at work through Paul. And Luke recorded these words under inspiration so that we could live more holy lives, so that we could live more devout lives. And so the goal today is not just to learn about Paul's journeys, although that be, will be where we start, The goal is to hear from God on how we can now live in light of that truth. So today we're going to talk about—today's title is a little little different. I'm going to throw it up up front so that we can stew on it and go ahead and disagree with me early. It's called Shrewd Spirituality. Shrewd Spirituality. Now here's my my goal for this morning. I'm going to give give you my big idea up front. The big idea that I want us to get to see through Paul's life and the, how the Holy Spirit works through Paul's life is as Christians, we are not called to just be spiritual people. Um, we are called to use every tool, every advantage, every piece of leverage that we possibly can to advance the mission of Jesus Christ. That requires a little shrewdness at times. That requires a little strategy at times. Now, the tension has always been, maybe not for you, but for me, is you choose one or the other. You either are spiritual and you pray and fast and hear from the Lord about everything, or you read a book and you go to a conference and you talk to friends and you make your decision. And the tendency is to make these things at odds with one another. You're either spirit-led or you're just being strategic and using the the business tools of the world. Um, And what we're going to see very, very plainly today is that Paul does not choose either one. He chooses both. He chooses both. Let me give us some context for this, this title. Matthew chapter 10, this will be on the screen. Matthew chapter 10, um, round verse 16, Jesus is giving his disciples some instructions. He's about to send them out in pairs to go basically on a mission trip and said, hey, y'all been watching me for a while talk about this good news, proclaiming this kingdom, so now I'm going to send out these 70 to 72 disciples two by two, and I'm going to send them out And they're going to do the same thing that they saw me do. And so Jesus gave very specific instructions. He says, don't take any money with you, but rely on the hospitality of others. Don't take any extra clothes whatsoever. Rely on me to provide and provision. So he's given all these instructions. And towards the end of that instructions, he gives one final piece of instruction to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He says, look, Jesus is speaking. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. So, remember the context of this is being sent out to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that the law does not save you. Being good enough does not save you. If you want to have a right relationship with Jesus, you have to stop trying altogether. Amen? Amen. But the methods that he told them seemed unusual, especially this last piece. What does it mean to be shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves? Now, this word shrewd is not a word that we use oftentimes. It basically just means having powers of judgment or being astute, being wise, perceptive. That's what shrewdness means. And this was the command of Jesus himself to his disciples to be shrewd as serpents. Now, when we hear serpent, who do we think of? That snake in the garden, right? So that's why people struggle with this verse, because they hear serpent, and they think, oh, we should be deceptive like the world. That's not what he's saying. Snakes, because of the, the Adam and Eve uh, story, which is history, uh, because of that, snakes were associated with cunning, not necessarily deception, but just cunning, being the smartest of all the animals, Genesis calls the serpents. The most cunning of all the animals in Genesis is what it says. So don't hear manipulative, don't hear deceptive, just hear shrewd. We're going to unpack what that means in just a little bit. So Acts chapter 21, we're going to actually look at verses 26, and we're going to start at verse 26, and we're going to look at all the way through chapter 22 through verse 29. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read the whole thing. Um, I'm just going to pull out some, some important parts of this. But we're going to basically break this, break this passage up into three sections. We're going to see three different things, and each one of these, each one of these sections are going to really have the same point over and over and over, Is Paul is going to be shrewd and spiritual at the same time. First thing we're going to see is a riot. We're going to pick up the story where we left off last week, and it's going to begin with a riot. People are going to be rioting against Paul and the accusations made against him. Then we're going to see a response from Paul, and then we're going to see the result. What is the result of Paul's response? Acts chapter 22 verses 30 through 26 through 36 it describes this, riot. Let me read for you verses 30 through 32. It says, the whole city was stirred up. The people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. So, this is your first Sunday here, or you haven't been tracking with us for a while. You may be wondering what's happening? Why did Paul just get seized? Let me give you a quick backstory. Paul had been traveling, speaking with Gentiles, proclaiming the truth to the Gentiles, those who were not Jews. And at this time in church history, there was a big tension, not really a divide, but a tension between the Jewish people, those who have been historically God's people, and these Gentiles, which would be all of us, unless any of you are ethnically Jews. They're basically saying, no, we have circumcision, we've got all these laws, we are God's people, they are not, and now all of a sudden Jesus comes along and says, you know what, all the circumcision, keeping the law, that's actually not how you become God's people. You actually become God's people by trusting in Jesus. And so the Gentiles were like, well, we can do that too. And so all of a sudden, you had Jews and Gentiles mixing together to form this one new church altogether. But there was still this tension. There was even some Jews who rejected Jesus altogether because of that message. Any man who says Gentiles are part of the part of the plan of God can't be the Messiah. So they, they rejected Jesus. And so Paul, who was a ethnic Jew, comes back from this long mission trip. And he actually does a crazy thing we talked about last week. He does this thing that he doesn't have to do. He does this Nazarite vow basically to prove his Jewishness, to prove that I'm really not against you all. I'm actually one of you all. So he does this vow, the ceremony of fasting, to prove that he was really a super Jew just like everyone thought he was. But there was this guy named Trophimus who was a Gentile. They just happened to see this guy in the temple, and they immediately thought Paul brought this man here into our temple. Now in the temple, this is a this is historical fact, you can actually Google this, um, there's there an outer court or called the Court of the Gentiles, but then you go past this kind of big stadium area and you go past that, and there's a little sign that says, Gentiles do not enter upon pain of death. So if a Gentile, a non-Jew, walked past the threshold from the outer court to the inner court, it was death. Some historians would even say this is the one time that Jews could execute somebody without Roman permission. Because this was such a strong part of their theology, their, 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 their culture, that any Jew who crossed the threshold to try to pretend to be really one of us was killed. And all of a sudden they saw this guy named Trophimus, and so they thought Paul brought him and So the anger ensued that we saw in verses 31 through 32. It says the whole city was stirred up. The people rushed together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the table, and once the gates were shut, they were trying to kill him. They went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. And this commander taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. Seeing the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Verse 32. So they had dragged Paul out of the temple and they waited no time. There was no conversation. I remember old school days where you spend like 30 minutes not fighting before you actually fight. Like you're pushing, you're shoving, you're like running up against people. Like they did none of that. They went straight to work. They grabbed Paul, dragged him out, and were beating him. Matter of fact, the Roman centurions had to come and actually stop them, had to save Paul from being beat. Verse 36, it says, for the mass of people followed yelling, get rid of him or away with him. Now, for some of us, that may sound familiar words because that is the exact same phrase used about Jesus. No, get rid of him. We want Barabbas. So when they're talking about get rid of him, they're not talking about they want him gone. They're talking about Paul. they want Paul dead. That's what the Jews are rioting. Now, if you are Paul and the people whom you love, the people who you've been raised upon, the people who you've been raised around, the traditions that you love growing up, these are your people, and they are beating you and turning against you and trying to kill you, what might be your response? How might you respond to the worst kinds of betrayal? Somebody's not just talking behind your back. They have actually turned that rumor into murder, and they're trying to kill you and take your life. The Bible actually never says whether Paul invited Trophimus into the temple or not, because for the record, it's not important. Just the accusation was enough to spark a riot. Verses twenty. 20- Chapter 21, verses 37 all the way to chapter 22, verse 5 is Paul's response. Now, this response is broken up into two smaller sections. One is that he's going to actually, for the first time in this whole story, speak. So he's been dragged out, he's been beaten, and at this point, we don't know if he said or did anything to this point to his defense. But for the first time, he opens his mouth. Look at me with look with me to verse 37. As he was about to be brought into the barracks, once again, the, the Roman satyr saved him. They, they were beating him. They saved him by pulling him out into the barracks. Paul said to the commander, am I allowed to say something to you? And the commander replied, you know how to speak Greek? Let's pause there. So whatever language Paul was speaking before was not Greek. But when he switched to Greek, the, the commander recognized, you know how to speak Greek? Now think about to your mind, why is that important? Why did Paul switch languages when speaking to the centurion? So then he got accused of being a fugitive in verse 38. He says, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt some time ago and led 4,000 men of assassins into the wilderness? Kind of a crazy accusation. Paul's like, nope, not that. (laughs) Verse 39, Paul says, no, I'm I'm a Jewish man from Tarsus of Cilicia. Look at what Paul says, a citizen of an important city. Now I ask you, let me speak to the people. After he had given permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hand to the people, calling them. When there was a great hush, he addressed them in what does your Bible say? Aramaic, the second language that Paul had spoken in the same conversation. Brothers and fathers, listen now, chapter 22, verse 1. Listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. And he continued, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, According to the law of our ancestors, I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted the way to death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. I received letters from the brothers to travel to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. What is Paul doing, y'all? Paul was just being beaten to death by these people, and yet now he's calling it zealousness for the Lord. Hey, you guys are just being zealous. I was was zealous too, speaking in their native Hebrew language, connecting with them, saying, you know, we're actually on the same page here, guys. I was trained by this guy, Gamaliel, who you all know and respect, who's a well-known Jewish leader. That was my teacher. I was taught the law from birth just like you were. (laughs) The thing that got me is what is Paul doing? Why is he trying to connect with those who are trying to kill him? And this is the point. This is the, the thrust of the whole passage. Paul is being tactful. Because his safety is of no importance to him. Whether he lives or dies is of no importance to him. The whole reason he's even speaking right now is, that, hey, if I'm about to die, let me die doing this. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the whole rest of this passage is Paul telling his testimony. Verses 6 through 21 of chapter 22, Paul begins to share his testimony. Hey, I used to be just like you. I don't hold it against you. I used to be zealous. I used to persecute Christians against them the way you're persecuting me right now. I get it, is what he's saying. But then one day, I was walking to this town called Damascus. And then this light shone, and then Jesus Christ spoke to me and saved me. He begins to tell about his conversion story in verses 6 through 21. But then he said in verse 21, in chapter 22, verse 21. I'm starting verse 19, actually. But I said, Lord, they know in synagogue after synagogue, this is Paul talking about himself, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. So Paul's like, God, you, you can't be using me because I've done all these terrible things. In verse 21, he says, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. In verse 22, 22, they said, they listened to him up to this point. Then they raised their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Here's the point, church. Paul had a moment, he had an opportunity. The Bible says that all of Jerusalem were raised in an uproar. So for the first time since he's been in Jerusalem, he has the entire city's attention. Now, what would you do if you had the entire city's attention? Would you plead your case? Man, I don't, I don't know this guy, Trophimus. I don't know who brought him into this temple. It wasn't me. Matter of fact, I'm, guilt, I'm innocent. I'm a Jew just like you guys. Or would you do what Paul did and say, well, I have an opportunity here? I might die at the end of this, but I have an opportunity here to preach Jesus. To tell them how God can save the worst of sinners, me, and if God can save me, surely salvation is available to all. Church, we need to be tactful in how we explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a little strategy to our spirituality. And this sounds weird, but Paul was not a fool. He didn't just call down, punish me. He's like, well, look, you're going to die in your sins, you heathens. He didn't reject them because they were right. He was like, no, how can I? F- let, me, let me speak their language. Let me, let me call them down. Let me show them how much you like them. Let me make these inroads. I have all of this at my, at my disposal, so let me use every tool that I have, including my own culture, to try to build a bridge to conversation to Jesus. But then what did he do? He told the truth. He could have just stopped there, and if he would have stopped His testimony at how God saved him, you might have been able to accuse Paul of being a little weak, of being a little soft, of maybe compromising too much. But he included, verse 21, the thing that they did not want to hear. He told these Jewish zealots that God sent him to the Gentiles. In verse 22, they listened to him up to this point. They raised their voices, wiped this man off the face of the earth. So the result was that after Paul's accommodation to the Romans speaking Greek, after Paul's accommodation to the Jews speaking Aramaic, telling his story from their vantage point, at the end of the day, they still wanted to kill him. Now, the question that I was wrestling with is, did Paul waste his time? If the result was going to be the same, why go out of his way to try to show love to people who want to kill you? If they're still going to want to kill you at the end of the day, why not at least try to prove your innocence? And the Lord began to Convict me and showed me that the result does not matter. The result is not what we are going for. What God calls us to be held accountable to is our response, not the results. How are we going to respond to accusations? How are we going to respond to hard times? Are we going to use everything at our disposal to make much of Jesus or to protect ourselves? And oftentimes you have to choose between the two. Now let me make a distinction here. This is a, some folks are kind of weirded out by this because it is kind of a slippery slope, which is not a real argument, by the way, but some people say it's a slippery slope. Well, how far is too far? Let me give you two contrasting examples. When I was in the military, there was a a bunch of believers who I had got to know, um, and they had a theological conviction that cursing was okay. They had a theological conviction because, one, this is the language of the military, and I need to speak their language. And so, in order for me to build trust and rapport and in order for me to be accepted by this group to share Jesus, I'm going to fit in a little bit more. I'm going to say, I'm going to use the language that they use. Now, I would say that's too far. Because the Bible says, let your words be salt and grace to the hearer. So, that, that's, that's one of those areas of compromise that's sin. So, we can't compromise. We can't call it compromise when it's really just sin. But there are other times, for those who know kind of the Christian hip-hop world, there's this guy by the name of Lecrae. Anybody heard of Lecrae? Amen. So Lecrae gets a bad rap, mostly from me because I talk trash about him sometimes too. (laughs) But God's word works, you know. Conviction is a real thing. So the, the biggest argument against him, if you're not familiar, is he used to be this explicitly Christian rapper. I'm never ashamed of the gospel. I mean, the lyrics about explicitly Christian, I'm about Jesus all day, every day. I die for this thing. And then somewhere around a couple albums ago, he began to just kind of talk in generalities. You know, it's like, is he talking about Jesus? Is he not talking about Jesus? You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like those, uh, those Christian songs, like the CCM songs. That you could be talking about a girl. You could be talking about Jesus. You're not sure. <laughs> you need to stop listening to that music, by the way. It's not Christian music. If it's not clear, Anyway. Anyway, grace. We're talking about grace, y'all. So the point is, like, there became this tension in the, kind of like the Christian hip-hop community. is like, yo, this dude sold out. He got, he made a couple. He won a couple of awards. He got a little money. All of a sudden, he ain't doing TBN no more. He's all on BET. Like, he just straight left his gospel roots. And some of that might be legitimate, but I don't personally know the grace. So one of the things that, that convicted me was, like, man, there should be a, a, st- a posture of humility when I see a Christian navigating a worldly space. Not in sin, but just doing it differently than I would do it. it. needs to be a little bit of humility, but he's trying to navigate this music industry, which is broken and sinful and, and depraved of every imagination. He's trying to navigate that with the light of Jesus Christ, and he might have said, man, this is, my, this is me being Paul. This is me being Aramaic to the Hebrews and Greek to the Romans. This is me trying to connect with the unbelieving world saying, hey, I used to have a zeal just like you. I used to be a persecutor of the way just like you. He might be trying to navigate this space so that he can get the attention of people who would otherwise not be in a church so that he can make much of Jesus. I don't know what kind of conversations Lecrae is having backstage at his concerts. I don't know what kind of conversations he's having in the recording studio about Jesus. He might be having Bibles open, Bible studies. People might be getting saved. I don't know that. His music might to change, and so Christians, myself included, were jumped to be like, man, this dude sold out. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's just trying to be strategic and tactful and a little shrewd and saying, well, if I say this and I complain me on the radio, if I'm not on the radio, I'm not, I'm not gonna be in this room. And if I'm not in this room, I can't talk to these people. If I can't talk to these people, then the system doesn't change. So maybe he's being a little strategic without sinning. And saying, What can I? God has given me music. How can I use that? to navigate my way through this industry to make much of Jesus. And God began to convict me. He's like, man, God has given us all avenues of access. Maybe you have a job. Maybe you own a business. Maybe you stay at home, Mom. God has given you a culture and tools and a job and people that you know that you, God has given to you for you to navigate a way to make much of Jesus. Now, how do we know the difference between compromising and being shrewd? How do we know the difference between compromising and being shrewd? Because it can be a fine line, can it? It can be a fine line between being strategic and just selling out. Here's what I found to be the difference, primary from this passage right here. This story ends with Paul in chains. Paul is going to be in chains to the end of the book of Acts, by the way. He's never going to get released. He's going to die in chains. So this is one of the ways that we can know that we're being shrewd without selling out is we don't do it for selfish gain. Remember what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24? He says, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of God's grace. That's what he's about. My life is of no value. If I'm just useful to God's kingdom, it's been worth it. So Paul doesn't proclaim his innocence. He has the entire attention of the city of Jerusalem, and what does he do with it? He doesn't say, I didn't do it. He says, look what God did in my life. He doesn't even address the charges, y'all. He is facing a capital charge. This is not jail time if he's found guilty. This is execution. He says, oh, I mean, that's that's another issue. If I got time, maybe we'll we'll talk about that. But I have everybody's attention right now. Let me talk about what Jesus did in my life. Let me talk about what Jesus did in my life. Verses 20, chapter 22, picking up the story in verses 22 all the way through 29. Basically, after, he, after Paul says, I'm going to the Gentiles, of course, he enrages the Jews yet again. They try to kill him. And then once again, the Roman, the Roman centurions had to drag him out from the Jews just to save his life but now this Roman commander, he's got a job to do. He's got to bring peace back to the city, so he's about to find out what Paul did. They're clearly angry. No, he doesn't know what's going on, so he figures, you know what? We're going to beat you until you tell us what you've done. Verse 25, we pick up the story. As they stretched him out for the lash, actually, they're about to scourge him, some Bible says, Paul said to the centurion standing by, and I, I just saw so Paul, yo. So Paul's being stretched. If you, never, if you haven't imagined, they put you on a table, they stretch out your hands and your legs so you can't fight, you can't kick, you can't move. You're usually face down because they scourge your back. So he's being stretched out on this table, and I can imagine Paul just as cool as can be. Hey, is it legal to scourge a man who's a Roman citizen and is uncondemned? Now, a little history. Roman citizens, not everybody was a Roman citizen, so Rome ruled pretty much the known world at this time, but not everybody was a Roman citizen. To be a Roman citizen gave you some benefits that that being just under the rule of Rome didn't give you. So if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be punished without a trial. If you're a Roman citizen, you could appeal to Caesar. Like, there's all these benefits that you could have as a Roman citizen. And so Paul waits, so he's about to be beaten to actually make known that he's a Roman citizen. Verse 26, when the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander saying, what are you going to do for this man as a Roman citizen? Verse 29, those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The commander was too alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and had bound him. The guy was scared. He's like, man, I messed up. I bound I arrested him without, without charges. I was about to beat him, and although he's a Roman citizen, that's not allowed. He could face, the leader could face charges and punishment for doing that to a Roman citizen. Why does that matter for us? Paul didn't have a martyr complex, y'all. He was like, no, nah, I'm a Roman, I don't, have to, I don't have to be beat for this. Like, I'm a Roman, like, he was, he was able to pull out his, his citizenship when it benefited him, not just him, but when it benefited the mission. Why couldn't Paul get whipped and executed right there? Because he's going to Rome. I've got a mission to go. I'm cool with dying. I just can't die here. Because God told me i got to go to Rome. i got to do something with my life. And so I'm not going to play in traffic for the name of Jesus. I don't I'm going to get whipped unnecessarily. He pulled out his Roman car just say, hey, look, man, stop. We, we've had our fun. This is enough. And it's so it's so encouraging because you see Paul being cunning, being shrewd. He could have said that at the very beginning, but the problem was if he would have said he was a Roman citizen at the very beginning, the centurion would have broken up the crowd because there wasn't actually charges against him. And Paul didn't didn't want to break up the crowd because now he's got the crowd's attention. I can preach now. People are listening right now. So we only pulled out that vantage point whenever it didn't, when it got in the way of the mission. And being whipped and jailed and imprisoned there in Jerusalem would have gotten the way of mission. And so we have lots of access to privileges, y'all. Our American citizenship gives us some privileges. Male, female, there's there's some privileges that come along with who we are and where God has put us. It's not something that we should feel guilty about. That's something that we should use to further the kingdom of God. Having privilege and having access doesn't, isn't a bad thing. It can be a good thing when we're not leveraged for selfishness, but leveraged for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. If you're rich, amen, praise God. God may call you to, to sell everything you have so that God can use you, or He may God may call you to use everything that you have so that God may use you. You have a position of power and authority, praise God. God will use that, but God will use poverty just as well. Got to use lowliness just as well. And so our station in life doesn't actually really matter when it comes to advancing the kingdom, but we should be constantly thinking, how can I use this? How can I use this? And it's hard sometimes, y'all. One of our pastors is, Pastor Jake is away right now. Um, grandfather, uh, Laura, his wife's grandfather has passed away this weekend. Um, and so they're just with the family grieving but he texts uh, Marcus and I this weekend. He's like, hey, man, I get to preach the funeral on Monday, though. And there's some unbelievers in their family. So there's sadness and there's weight, but there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity here. You wake up one day with a, a million-dollar check in your mailbox. Man, after, after the shout, <laughs> after the praise dance, your first thought should be, okay, how can I use this? how can I use this? Not for vacation, not for paying off the bill, but how can I use this to make much of Jesus? Your bank account running a little low, hard time suffering, a season of lack and not enough, the question is exactly the same. How can I use this? How can God get glory from my response to suffering? How can people look at me and say, man, he must be living for something else because there's no reason he or she should be that happy. There's no reason they should be that generous. There's no reason they should be that faithful. Like Paul, y'all, we need to be shrewd Christians with everything that God gives us. We should find a way to give back. Okay, God, you've given me this family. How How can I use my family? To advance the kingdom of God. Okay, God, you've given me this school that I'm, I'm a student at. Okay, how can I use this position to advance the kingdom of God? Okay, God, you give me this business. How can I use this? God, you give me this relationship. How can I use this relationship to advance the kingdom of God? So that's the difference between being shrewd and being a sellout, because you you are looking to be strategic, you're looking to make much of something, but it's not you. It's not your comfort, it's not your safety. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Y'all, there is no plan B for the church. There is no plan B for the church. This thing rocks me every time I think about it. Jesus lived a perfect life, healed people, casted out demons, fed thousands of folks, got up on a cross, died a gruesome, horrific, shameful death, then rose up with all power in his hands, saying, I really was who I said I was. I really did die for those who can't save themselves. And then he looks at the church and is like, all right, y'all got it from here, and leaves, giving us the Holy Spirit. We, we are Jesus' hands and feet now. We are how people get to know Jesus Christ. We are how people see Jesus. We are how people get to know Jesus. We are how people get to see what God really values. It's by what we value, those who say we are part of his family. So this is an incredible weight, but it's also an incredible opportunity because you cannot fail at this mission. You can't fail. You can't fail at making much of Jesus. Your business could fail. Your family could go through hard times. Your finances could go through lean times, but you cannot fail at making much of Jesus if you just ask the question, okay, God, how can I use this? How can I use this to give glory to you, to make you famous, not me, more comfortable? Would you pray with me, church?